You are now free to fly for free. Hello, and welcome back to Miles Flying. Uh, we had an exciting week. On Monday, we released our launch, our first podcast, um, and really just got so much positive feedback. I wanted to thank everyone who took the time to listen um, and who provided feedback. Uh, it was very encouraging, and uh, that's gotten me the motivation to keep going and uh here's podcast number two we're going to talk about a topic that somebody actually mentioned in one of their comments and uh this is something i had wanted to talk about anyway which is going which is the topic of credit we're going to discuss all about credit um, and i think this is really the first uh, step in order to get more involved with credit cards and miles earning and points earning is you really need to understand how your credit works Credit is this mysterious thing that people know exists, but don't really understand it much. Um, they know you need it in order to get a good mortgage rate, and they know you need it for credit cards, and if you ever need a loan or finance your car, um, but it's you know a little bit unknown what goes into your credit, how different things impact your credit. So I hope we can, we can explain that in a little bit more detail. This is really an important thing, part of your personal finance, and it's a shame you don't learn it in high school. It's a shame you don't learn it in most colleges. Um, and so I'd like to be able to help you, you know, understand more about this all-important topic. I'll start off by saying I'm not a credit expert and I don't have experience with mortgages, um, but I will share what I know, what I've read about online, what I've discussed with friends who are, who are knowledgeable, and uh, it's mostly going to be related to credit cards. There are three credit bureaus. These are three organizations that are separate from the banks and they are not government organizations, but they do follow regulations um, and they are Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. These three credit bureaus collect information from, from the banks monthly um, and they compile their information into credit reports. So each bureau has its own credit report. So everyone has three credit reports. Um, however, they're going to be different because the different bureaus collect their information from different banks. So some will collect from Chase, some will collect from American Express, some from Barclays, some from Citi, and some will combine and collect from more than one of them. So because they each have their own banks that they pull their information from, they're each going to have their own credit report. Now, there's a company called FICO, Fair Isaac Company, and that is a company that calculates credit scores based on these reports. And they're the only actual real company that creates a real credit score. So you have three bureaus, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, that each have their own credit report. So you have three credit reports. And FICO calculates the scores for each of these reports, and therefore you'll have three credit scores. At this point, it's worthwhile to mention a concept called FACO. If FICO is your good credit score, FACO are fake credit scores. Um, an example of this would be a credit score you might see from a company called Credit Karma, which is a free service that a lot of people like using um, because it tracks their you know, information that are ha that's happening on their credit reports, and it also gives them a credit score. However, Credit Karma uses their own calculation to calculate their credit score, and that's not the same credit score that the banks use to determine whether you are eligible for more credit cards or a good mortgage rate. Banks use FICO. Credit Karma is known as a FACO. So don't rely on it. And just because it says that you have a very high score doesn't mean even that the, that the real credit score will be off by a couple of points from that. It could be totally different. Um, and therefore, it's don't rely on that. 
Now, I personally believe that the credit report is much more important than the credit score. Why is that? Because that's what banks look at in, in, this, you know, in, in this topic when we're talking about credit cards. That's what banks look at when determining whether to give you a new credit card or increase your credit limit that you can spend on your card. When you call them up, if you don't get approved for a card right away and you call them up to discuss the application with them, they never mention to you what your credit score was. Sure, they could see your score, but they don't mention that to you. They go through your report with you and discuss what other accounts you have open on your credit report, how many inquiries you have into your credit report recently, um, <clears throat> but they never discuss your score, which tells me that it's more important to focus on your report than your score. The score is a nice little number to go around with to know whether you're doing something right or wrong with your credit, but it's not the be-all, end-all. While I discuss the breakdown of what goes into your credit score, which is what the majority of this podcast is going to be talking about today, I want to remind you again that the score is not what's important, rather it's the good report. Now the categories we're going to go through are publicly public information of what's required for a good credit score, but again, the report is the important part. And if these sections are important for a good score, that means that that's actually what's important for a good report as well. The information that I'm going to discuss comes directly from FICO's own website. Um, while they break down the general categories of what goes into your credit score, they don't explain how much each specific category and its calculations affect your score. And that's the difficult thing that you're going to see as we go through this. And I'm going to point it out every time we hit an unknown, as I like to call them, within your credit score and your report, I'm going to point that out and explain what I mean there. So let, let's dig in here. Picture a pie chart. Um, you have your pizza pie, and there are different slices that are worth different amount of your scores. The largest slice is called payment history, and that's worth 35% of your score. So if FICO tells you a percentage that payment history impacts your credit score. However, they don't tell you how the different parts of payment history add up to that 35%. <clears throat> so the first question, the main question with payment history is, do you pay your bills on time? It's a very simple question. And if the answer is yes, I have always paid every single bill on time, then technically you should get a full 35% towards your score. The calculation measures, however, a couple of more items and if you have a late payment at any point, it calculates the following things. Again, this is from FICO's website. How late your payment was, how much was owed on that payment. Was it a $100 late payment or a $5,000 late payment? How recent the late payment was, and how many late payments you have in total. So the exact calculation, again, to figure out how much of the 35% of this section you've earned is unknown. Right? What's the impact if you have one late payment versus 10 late payments on your credit report? What if the payment you have that's late is one month old? Or what if it's already 10 months old? You know, your, your, your credit score is recalculated every month. So how much does each month passing impact your score? And that's unknown, unfortunately. So that's a little bit frustrating. And that's why you can't ever really figure out exactly how your credit score is impacted by each item that happens to your credit report but it's still important to know what's important. So obviously, number one, pay all your bills on time. If you don't plan on being able to pay your bills on time, then don't get involved in this game. <laughs> That's all I could say. Um, <clears throat> the next section, the next slice of the pie is 30%, and that's the amounts owed. This is also known as the utilization ratio. 
and it's a ratio of the amount that you owe on, on your credit cards, the total of your bills, to the amount you could be using. So for a credit card, this is the amount of your statement divided by the credit limit or the credit line you have on that card, right? If you're familiar with a the card, they give you a certain amount of dollars you're allowed to spend on every month. So you take, if you, if you have a $5,000 credit limit and you have a $2,000 statement, that means you used two-fifths of your allowable credit that month. And so that ratio is 30% of your credit score. The banks want to see that you are utilizing very little of the amount they allow you to borrow. And it's a monthly calculation that's recalculated every month. Therefore, if you use a lot of your credit one month, you may have a very high ratio, which is bad, but that's only right now. If you pay it off next month, the ratio could be low again. There are two aspects of the ratio that are looked at. Number one, the ratio of each individual card. So that's the individual credit limit over the individual statement. Uh, that's the denominator. And the numerator would be the amount of money you spent on that card that month. It also looks at the total ratio of all your cards combined. And so that adds up the credit limit of all your cards together as the de denominator. And the numerator is all the bills and all the statements you have on your credit cards that month. And that's your overall ratio. So FICO tells you uh, in general that having a ratio over 30% that you're, that you're using 30% of your allowable credit line is bad. Having less than 30% is good. And generally, they say that 7 to 10% ratio would be the supposed, supposed ideal. Now, why not aim for 0%, right? I want to show that I'm not using my cards at all. And that'll get me, you know, a great, a great score. And the reason is because the banks that are looking at your credit report, trying to decide whether they should give you a mortgage, whether they should allow you to get a new credit card, are not going to be so willing to give you a new card if your ratio is 0%. It means you never use your cards. You never, you never use a credit that the other banks have already afforded you. So why should they all of a sudden give you more credit? I've also heard that letting just $1 to $2, not percent, $1 to $2 close on your statement each month is the actual ideal. I've never actually gotten this down pat, and I'll explain to you why I don't really care for it too much. The important thing here is not to let your bill close the very high dollar amount on it, right? Because then you'd have a very high ratio. So how do you avoid that? There's a trick here to spend money on your cards while it doesn't affect your ratio. And what do you do? The balance on your card is only reported to the credit bureaus and shows up in your credit report only after your statement date only after the bill closes. Again, this is not the due date of when you have to pay your bill by, but it's the statement date when your bill officially closes. And you could see that date when you check your statement online, or if you call up the bank, they'll tell you when your statement is. So if you can pay off part of your balance before the statement closes, before that date, then only what's left on your balance when the statement closes will be reported. So if you spent $2,000 on your credit card, and you know the statement closes on the 15th of the month, then on the 12th or the 13th, you can make a payment for $1,900, and you'll have only $100 report on your statement when the statement closes. And therefore, instead of your ratio being impacted by a $2,000 bill, it's only impacted by a $100 bill. And so that's the idea of having only $1 or $2 hit your bill each month, is to pay off everything but $1 or $2 before the statement date closes. Um, I've never done that. I've never figured that out exactly because 
you know, then what do you do in the two days when you're in between when you made the payment and when the statement closes? Does that mean you can't use your credit card because a new charge might post to your bill and then raise you above that one to two dollar threshold? It's possible. Um, my credit score has increased with time and I've never done this one or two dollar trick. I always, though, try to make sure that no actual high bills in the thousands close on my statement. Um, and again, the important part there is just leave some sort of activity on there so that the bank see that you are using your card just conservatively. Now again, you have these two ratios and it's uncertain, it's unknown how these ratios figure into the 30% that this category represents of your credit score, right? As your ratio changes by 1% or 2% or 3%, how much does that impact the 30% of this part of your credit score? The takeaway is that it's 30%. It's the second largest category. Therefore, it's about a third of your credit score, and you should be careful to always keep a low utilization ratio. Now, the ratio is also the answer to one of the greatest fears of your credit knowledge, which is, and I assume this is something you've heard before, closing credit cards hurts your credit score, right? Wrong. It's actually the greatest credit myth. How so? Closing a, cr a card means that you have now lost the credit limit that you had on that card. So the denominator of your overall credit has now gone down, right? So for the ratio of the specific card, that doesn't matter anymore. The card is closed. You're not using it anymore. But remember, we said that the other ratio is your total credit. And so if you had a $5,000 credit line on this, your total overall denominator of all your credit has gone down by $5,000 when you close this card. And therefore, if you have a lower denominator, you're going to have a higher ratio. However, there's a simple trick to avoid this. Before you ever close a card, you can call up the bank that you have the card with and ask them to transfer your credit line onto a different credit card that you have with them. So as long as you have one other card, most banks will be willing to, before closing the card, transfer the $5,000 credit line, or sometimes it's only most of the $5,000 they can't transfer the last couple hundred dollars, onto another card. And therefore, your total denominator of all your total credit lines will still be what it was before. And therefore, it'll stay nice and steady. And your, and your credit line and, and, and your ratio will stay approximately where it was beforehand. It's simple. The biggest, that's the biggest hurt from, the credit, from closing a credit card. But really, it can be easily be solved. And even if you decide not to transfer the credit line when you close a card, you just shut it down right away. Once you have lots of credit line, because you have lots of different credit cards, you'll notice that these little 5,000s per card, 10,000s per card, 1,000s per card eventually will add up and you might have a $25,000 credit line overall between all your cards. You might even have a $100,000 credit line between all your cards. So how much of an impact will closing down one card with just a few thousand dollar credit line actually impact your ratio? If you had a $100,000 overall credit line and now you only have $95,000 credit line, your denominator didn't change that much and so closing this card actually won't impact you that much. The next section is the length of your credit history. And this is worth 15%. So if you notice the first two sections were 35%, 30%. Now we're cutting that in half and we're dealing with 15%. So right away you know this section is less impactful. And there are three lengths of credit history that are calculated here. Number one, how long have you had a line of credit? And this means your very first credit line. For most people, that would be your first credit card. And that's why people say to open up your first card as early as you can. The youngest age is age 18. 
just so that you can get your credit started even if you barely use that card. And therefore, it's smart to get your first card as early as you can and keep it open for a long time. So if you got your first card when you were 18 and now you're 25, you have seven years of credit history building. However, it's not always the worst thing in the world to close that card. A lot of times people say to always keep your first card open forever. But if you're now 30 years old and you have 12 years of credit history because you opened your first card when you were 18, but you opened your second card when you were 20, so your second card has 10 years of history, and now you decide to close down that first card. So you're, the answer to this question here of how long have you had, what's your longest line of credit, instead of it being 12 years, it's 10 years, I'm not sure how much of an impact that would have as opposed to when you're 21 and you had a card since you were 18 and a card since you were 20, now you're changing your longest line of credit from being three years old to only being one year old, you know, that's much more impactful. But as you get older, as time progresses, as long as you have other cards opened up, you know, not so long after that first card, closing down that first card really won't hurt you that much. The next question, the next length of credit history that's calculated is how long have you had your newest line of credit for? You want your newest line to be very old, just like you want your oldest line your longest opened line to be very old. Why? Because this looks like you're not asking for new credit very often from banks. You want your, your, your most recent opened card to be five years ago. That would technically improve your score more. However, in the Miles game, your newest card, your newest credit is usually no more than just a couple of months old because, you know, that's what we're doing here. The point is to be opening up credit cards. And even with all the cards that I've opened up and that many people have opened up, therefore this answer to this question is very poor just a couple of months old usually, we have good credit scores and we're able to get new credit cards approved all the time. And the last section, the last question of the length of credit history is what's the average age of all your accounts? Also, this is a simple formula. Add up how long you've had each card, each auto loan, each student loan, and then divide that by the amount of accounts you have. So you add up the length of each account that you have and divide it by the total amount of accounts that you have to get the average. So opening up new credit cards is going to lower this average, right? Because you just opened up a whole bunch of new accounts that are only going to be one month old, two months old, and that's going to lower your average. But you have to remember that the average age is one out of three parts of this section, and the whole section is only worth 15% of your score. And again, we don't know how, what does it mean if your average is two versus four versus 100. So this impact cannot possibly be all that impactful onto your credit score. Plus, as these cards that you just opened up get older, with each passing month, they are now a little bit older, they're obviously going to be raising and improving your average with time. The next section is called new credit, and this one is worth 10% of your score, so it's worth even less. New credit means how many cards, how many loans have you opened up recently? Of course, it's uncertain what recently means, and it's uncertain what it means for if you have three new cards or four new cards or three cards that are two months old and one card that's four months old. Again, unfortunately, we don't know. These are unknowns. However, get ready for the second largest myth debunking of your credit knowledge. How many inquiries, aka pulls, aka hits into your credit, have you had recently? That topic, oh, I'm going to get a credit pull when I apply for a credit card, 
is always very scary to people. What's the big myth buster? It's only 10% of your credit score. So this new credit checks two things. How many new accounts do you have recently? And how many credit pulls do you have into your account recently? So applying for a new credit card may come with a new credit pull, but it's only one inquiry, one new pull in a category that only adds up to a total whopping 10% of your score. Opening or even applying for credit cards and getting rejected for them does not hurt your credit nearly as much as people think it does. People are very scared of credit pulls, and of course you don't want to have them. You want to have as least amount as possible, but these are only 10% of your score. Now, one reason why it is a little bit concerning to have credit pulls is because these do show up on your credit report, and if you ever have to call a, a bank in order to discuss an application that you had with them that's pending and you want to get it approved, they will see your recently opened credit card accounts, and they will see your recently pulled uh, inquiries into your credit. And so you may have to discuss with them why you've had those and why you've been applying for cards, um, which we can get to in a future topic about how to get approved for cards. Um, but in terms of it actually impacting your score, it really is not such a strong impact. Hard inquiries, as they're called, hard pulls, which is when you apply for a credit, they stay on your credit report for 24 months, two years. However, they only negatively get calculated into your actual credit score for the first 12 months. After that, they just remain on there for banks to see that you had them. <clears throat> and therefore, if you are interested in the coming future in applying for what is probably your most important credit decision, which is getting a mortgage, and that you see that in your near future, I would play it smart and I wouldn't get too involved in collecting credit cards and miles. While again, these pulls and new cards do not impact your score that much, this is not something you want to joke around with in terms of getting a good rate for your mortgage. At the same time, I've heard reports from people who have applied for mortgage refinancing while they had all these credit cards going on and they were honest with the broker and said, hey, I applied for all these cards in order to get the big sign-up bonuses and collect miles and not because I'm desperate for money, not because I'm desperate to have credit that I could spend money on, and therefore they were approved with a favorable rate. So I guess you never really know how this will impact you, but to play it safe, you want to you know, not get too involved if you expect a mortgage in the near future. Finally, the last type of credit, the last type of section is types of credit. And again, this is a 10% section, not very large. What does it mean by types of credit? It is better to have more different types of credit. What does that mean? What's different types of credit? Here we go. Number one is credit cards. These are known as revolving credit. Number two is retail store cards. While those, you might think they're credit cards, but we're talking about like you go to Macy's and you get the Macy's card. You go to Banana Republic and get the Banana card. These are actually considered a separate type of credit for this purpose. And so having those, one of each of those will already show you have different types. Having a student loan, having an auto loan, which are known as installment loans, they're paid back in installments. That is a third type of credit that is good to have. And mortgage loans would be a fourth type. Having these different types show that you have a wide range of your credit and therefore you'll get more of this 10% category by having more of these. What does it mean to have only one or two? How much of the 10% will you get? Another unknown. The second aspect of this category, types of credit, is the total amount of accounts that you have. Add them all up, add up all the accounts from loans to credit cards to mortgages, and that's how many you have. 
Now, what does that mean? Does having five accounts, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? 10, 20, what's considered too much? Is having too many accounts a problem? And here is a quote, and I love this. Here is a quote from FICO's website. Remember the company that is creating the credit score and calculating for you. And it sums up the vagueness of really the entire credit system. Here's the quote. How many accounts is too many will vary depending on your overall credit picture. I kid you not. That's what they say. How many is too many will vary depending on your overall credit picture. Thank you very much. I can't even figure out my overall credit picture to begin with. I definitely cannot figure out how many accounts is too many. I will tell you, though, that even with 30 to 40 accounts currently on my credit report between my student loans, my credit cards, my score, my credit score has recently hit 800. I'm not saying that to show off. I'm saying that to show you that this category is just 10% of your score. I wouldn't worry too much about how many accounts you have, especially over time as you play this game slowly, because the most important thing to remember is that this is a marathon, not a race. I did not heed that advice when I started this game. And actually, when I made my first real day of applications for credit cards, I ended up getting 13 credit cards in my first month. Yeah, that was a little bit crazy. I was warned at the time not to do that, but I did it. And at the end of the day, it worked out for me. I still do not recommend that. I recommend taking it slowly. If you've never had a credit card before, we'll get to that. What cards to apply for? Start with one. Start with two. A couple months later, go for another one. It's a marathon, not a race. Understand credit first, which is what this podcast episode is all about, and then slowly apply for cards, handling only what you can at first. I hope this section was helpful. I hope that this was not too fast. It was a ton of information. Um, And please leave comments, leave feedback. You could tweet, you could post on Facebook, you can comment on the actual podcast. Let me know your thoughts. If you have any specific questions, I can address them again and follow up on any of these topics. As we discuss things in the future that are related to credit cards, I'm sure we're going to touch upon these topics again of how it impacts your credit. And uh, that will help refresh and rehash some of these ideas. I want to go to a side topic for a couple minutes now to finish off the episode. That was really heavy. Credit is a serious topic that has a ton of information in it, and I dumped it down to a half hour. So let's go to a side topic. I've mentioned that sometimes we'll do a Q&A where I'll answer some questions that I've received. I figure today, though, I'll talk about some new credit cards that I got. I think it's always important and interesting to hear about you know, what's hot on the market right now and uh, why at least two specific cards that I got recently were not general hot cards. I'll explain why I went for them. Uh, this section I'm also going to say is going to be a little bit of a higher level rather than for a total beginner, so please bear with me. I'm not going to go into depth about some of the topics I'm going to mention here in these next five minutes, but uh, you know, with time, hopefully you'll become more familiar with them. If you're familiar with the fact that Chase has a rule for applying for new credit cards that you can't get approved for many of their cards if you have something called 524 which means that you have five different credit cards opened from any bank in the last 24 months. So in the last two years, you can't have opened up five or more credit cards from any bank. Um, Now, there are some cards that don't fall into that five rule, and we'll get to that another time, hopefully. 
But because of that 524, that means anybody who plays this game seriously is always going to be over 524. Of course, I actually just checked my credit report today, and I have 15 cards open in the last 24 months. So I'm 1524, way over. There are a few ways to get past this. Um, to get past this rule, and one of them is being pre-approved targeted for a credit card in branch at an actual Chase branch. And you can check this by going in there and meeting with a banker, and they can check if anything's on your account. So I was targeted with a pre-approved offer for the Sapphire Preferred card. Uh, this is a card I have had in the past. I don't have one open right now. Um, and the pre-approved offer was actually for 70,000 bonus points for signing up plus 5,000 bonus points for adding an authorized user card, a secondary card, onto the account. Um, the normal offer for Sapphire Preferred is 50,000 points, so I was very excited that there was an extra 20,000 in there, plus mostly excited because I no longer can get this card since it falls under the 524 rule normally. However, pre-approved in branch, I am able to get approved for it. So I applied for it in branch, and I got instantly approved for it. It was very exciting. It's been a while since I've gotten... Uh, that card, and it was exciting to get past 524 rule. That same day, I also applied for a Marriott business credit card, which is also from Chase. Uh, it is not under the 524 rule. It's one of the cards that is not impacted by it, and therefore I was eligible for it. However, I was originally pending on the, on the application. I decided not to call up at the time based on some past experience where I was under the impression that it's best to wait for Chase business cards. Um, and not try to discuss it with them on the phone, wait till they make a final decision. However, this time the final decision was rejected. I waited till I got the letter in the mail, which says that I've been rejected for too many inquiries and too many new accounts opened up. And so I called up the reconsideration line, which is a phone number um, that all, all the banks have where you can call to discuss pending applications. And I called them up and they repeated the same rejection reason to me. However, I asked if there's any way we can reconsider that. That's why it's called the reconsideration line. And they were more than willing to open it up. We discussed some of the business, um, my Miles Flying business, and uh, they looked into it again. They ran some security checks and actually came back with positive news that they were able to approve me. That was very exciting. Um, and so that means I got two cards, two Chase cards. And uh, on that same day, I figured... Once I'm applying for cards, why not throw in another one? So I actually applied for the Chase Sapphire Reserve, which may come as a shock or not, but I've actually never had before. Never been approved for it because it's always been under the 524 rule. At times, there have been ways to get past it. Um, however, I was not eligible for those ways at the time. And I figured, hey, once I'm applying for cards, I'm in the branch. I can have my banker apply for it also. Why not try it? However, there was a no-go on that. And the rejection letter that I received clearly said that I had too many accounts opened in the last 24 months, which is the 524 rule. Just to clarify about the Marriott business card, I opened that online. I did not do it in branch. I applied online. Um, the Marriott card offers uh, uh, 80,000 points for signing up, plus 7,500 points for adding an authorized user for a total of 87,500. Uh, the reason I, I, I wanted that card was mostly because... Um, there are some Marriott properties, and now that they're partners with Starwood, there are some Marriott and Starwood properties that have been on my radar recently that, you know, with potential future vacations coming up that I might actually want to stay by, and uh, I thought it would be nice to collect some points in that in that uh, program, especially because the fact that this card was not applicable with a 524 rule. Um, lastly, this is something really to get more into in depth later, but the idea of applying for more than one card from the same bank 
in one calendar day before midnight that night is the idea that the credit pulls that come with each credit card application will get merged on your credit report into just one um, by the fact that they're all from the same bank. That idea holds true, um, and I was told that that holds true whether you apply in branch and then you apply online. And for Chase, normally, it used to be that applying for a personal card like the Sapphire Preferred and then applying for a business card like the Marriott Business would actually not merge and they would be two separate pulls on your credit report. Um, however, when I, however, I was told recently that that's not the case anymore and that business and personal cards from Chase do combine into one pull. And so therefore, I went for it. Now I checked my credit report today and I had two separate pulls on there, whether it's because one was in branch and one was online or because one was personal, one was business. I'm not sure and I won't be able to find that out. However, um, there's a nice little tip that uh, credit pulls can be merged by calling up the credit bureaus and having them look into your inquiries and you explain to them how you have two chase pulls in one day um, and you know, or within recent, you know, a couple of days of each other sometimes if you apply for one card a couple of days after another. And a lot of times they will be willing to view that as uh, as something that can be rectified and they will remove the extra pulls from there and just keep one on there. Um, I plan on calling up. I have not done that yet. I'm only going to call Experian, which is the main bureau that Chase checks in New York, and uh, see if they can do that for me if they were willing to merge these polls for me. In the past, they have with American Express applications and with Chase applications. I'm going to see if that will work here for the personal and business applications I put through. Um, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening to podcast episode number two with Miles Flying. Um, I am excited. This is going great so far, I believe. You've all provided positive feedback until now. If you have any questions, any topics you'd like me to cover, please send me a message. You can reach me on Facebook, on Twitter, at MilesFlying. And that's all for today. So until next time.